Welcome to the Mondial Learning Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Rose Luckin from the UCL Knowledge Lab in London to the show. Rose's work explores how to increase participation of teachers and learners in the use of technology. She's recently co-authored a paper titled Intelligence Unleashed, arguing how and why educators need to consider more deeply the role artificial intelligence will play in the future of education. So, in today's show, we'll get to discuss technology, AI, and the future of education. So, without further ado, hi Rose. Hello there. I wonder if we could start off finding out a little bit about your background. I'm always interested in how people come to be doing the work they're up to. Yeah, okay. So, um, I didn't start off in academia. When I left school, I didn't go to university. I actually went and worked in a bank, just a high street bank, and did various exams as part of that. Became interested in teaching and taught those subjects in further education and became interested in teaching through my children's school and went on governing bodies and various other things. So it was education that I became interested in before technology. And then decided that actually technology was something that was going to be changing how we thought and how we learnt and how we lived. And so I went off and did a degree in computer science and artificial intelligence, and that was in 1990, so it's quite a long time ago, and really enjoyed it, really, really enjoyed it, but was still interested in education, so then did a PhD that looked at designing educational technology that was based on a theory of how children learn. So the work of Vygotsky and, of the zone of, and the zone of proximal development. So I built a piece of software for children, eight to ten years of age, um, and tested it in schools. And, and, and that's where I really became interested. And you now work in the Knowledge Lab in London. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. The Knowledge Lab is an interdisciplinary research centre, really. So we have people like me who've got a background in computer science and artificial intelligence, but people who've got a background purely in education, sociologists, psychologists. We've still got a philosopher. We've got somebody who's got a philosophy background. So it's a real mix of computer and social scientists. It is a research centre that's primarily concerned with technology and learning in its various guises. So I have colleagues who specialise in games, for example, others who specialise in multimodal interaction. Others specialise in um, particular subject areas like maths. And then there's a group of us who work very much in the kind of artificial intelligence and education kind of area. So it's a, it's a lovely place to work, I have to say. It's really, really a very collaborative community, very supportive to colleagues. And I think it's wonderful to work in a place where you can say with your hand on your heart, yeah, all my colleagues do a really great job. Before we talk specifically about artificial intelligence, I wonder if I could have your opinion on how you think we're typically using technology in education at the moment. I've become more and more convinced that we're not approaching the way that technology can support learning in the right way. The way that teachers have been presented with it is always a bit of a bolt-on. It's not integrated, and I think that's problematic. I think it gives teachers who are hard-pressed and constantly being dumped on, really, with new bits of testing or new bits of legislation or new bits of this, new pressures, 
um, as it's yet another thing they've got to come to terms with. And, and therefore, I think it's perfectly reasonable that many of them approach it with a, oh, OK, I need to go and do some training on this because I've, I've, got, I've got to be able to do it, you know, which actually, yes, training is really important and, and we need more of it. But it's never going to be the situation that you can say, OK, I'm now trained on technology because it's evolving. And so it's more about changing mindsets to be able to see what a technology might offer, but at the same time to accept you might not know all about it and it's all right, but you don't because you can't possibly know everything about all of the technology. It's just not possible. But it, but it, so it is all about a mindset and, 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 and also expectations from, from students and parents as well. So I think that's one of the issues. And the other issue that I'm very concerned with is the fact that very, very little of the technology that ends up in schools and people's homes as ostensibly supporting learning and teaching, rarely does any of this have any basis in the evidence that we have about how people teach and learn and how they learn and teach with technology in particular. Or indeed, is it often designed specifically for education? It's still often things that are uh, repurposed from other products. So I think we've got a real lack of evidence-based educational technology design that needs to be corrected. And I think we also need to include in that better evaluations of educational technology products so that when schools who are hard-pressed for cash and looking at what they should spend their money on, they can actually feel assured that the claims being made by the companies are based on some facts, you know, because they're often not, you know. And so it, it's not just evidence based in terms of using what we already know, though that's important, but it's evidence based in terms of evaluating things rigorously and so you can say to teachers yes this is going to help your class learn maths it's going to do it in this way and here's the evidence to back up the claims that we're making so up to this point we've been talking more generally about technology and education however your specific field is actually to do with artificial intelligence now i'm guessing that uh, quite a few people who are listening might not know exactly what that is and so I wonder if you could give us some sort of a definition. Yeah, it's so difficult because there are so many different definitions of artificial intelligence and people get themselves tied up in knots, especially academics love to get tied up in knots over definitions. But basically it's um, building programs that enable computers to behave in a way that one would consider to be intelligent and that means that they can react to situations and or contexts in a way that exhibits an intelligent behaviour. So in the case of artificial intelligence in education, what we're looking for is systems that can um, support learners and or support teachers in some particular way, perhaps to support a particular skill or perhaps to support a particular subject area, but to do so in a manner that we would consider to be intelligent. So it has there has to be some subtlety in what the system is doing. And by that I mean 
it's not possible to predict in advance what the system would do just by looking at the outside of the system. You know, the person who programmed it might be able to, though probably not actually, um, because generally it gets too detailed and the, and the, and the, the, the dynamic calculations means that the human mind won't be able to work out all the different parameters that could possibly um, emanate from those calculations. It sounds quite complicated for the average person to be able to understand if something's actually artificially intelligent or not. And I know earlier when we were talking, you mentioned that you believe a lot of software which claims artificial intelligence actually isn't. What I think I was referring to earlier when I get really frustrated with products or services that claim to be using AI is that, yes, they do adapt things to learners or teachers, but it's very coarse-grained. And uh, that's not intelligent that's that's just a little bit adaptive it's not, do you know what I mean it's it's not and actually maybe it's useful but it shouldn't claim that it's something that it's not if you see what I mean yeah so it's the title that's put on it that's the problem yeah and if it called itself adaptive that wouldn't be an issue yes and then of course you get problems over what do we mean by adaptive but yes I mean one of the classic examples I'd use here is that we all think drill and practice software is really boring and it, in it often is, it's actually surprisingly effective in certain circumstances for certain learners. It's not in the least bit intelligent. Can you uh, perhaps describe what you mean by drill in practice? So basically, practice. Something that makes the child practice again and again and again. So for example, um, if you've got a child who's struggling with arithmetic, you might get them to practice addition and subtraction and addition and subtraction. And you could paint it up in quite a nice game and actually they'll probably get on with it and it probably will help but you wouldn't want them doing it for an hour and you wouldn't want them doing it all the time and it's not claiming to be anything it's not and that's fine the, the point I'm trying to make is I'm not saying everything has to be artificially intelligent what I'm saying is that things that claim to be artificially intelligent should be artificially intelligent but you know that's not to say that there isn't still a place for some of the dumb technology as well that's all so why do you think that we should be specifically interested in having artificial intelligence in the classroom because i think it can help us solve some of the really really difficult challenges as i say such as giving individual learners what they need in terms of support and in terms of supporting teachers in hard-pressed difficult situations um, so I think it can help us is the positive response. I also think it's coming and therefore whether we believe we need it or not, we've got to work out how to get it to suit our needs, not have it imposed on us. That's what bothers me if pe if if people kind of, take the attitude that I could understand they might, although I don't need any of that, we, you know, we can manage it, is that actually but it's going to come, you know, it is, it is going to come, you, you know. You've only got to look at the huge amounts of money that uh, is being invested in AI to, to know that education is not going to escape from this. So we don't want to end up with the driverless classroom, shall we say? Yes, exactly, but the role of a teacher is going to change, isn't it, I guess, as artificial intelligence becomes more commonplace. I just wonder what your thoughts are about that. I think 
the role of the teacher is shifting anyway. It's shifting for lots of political reasons. Teachers will need to increasingly prepare learners for work to a much greater extent than they do at the moment. You know, people talk about these 21st century skills and what I hate the phrase, but you know what I mean? You know, it is about critical thinking. It is about versatility. There's a huge amount of data and evidence now demonstrating that actually the workforce really doesn't need routine cognitive skills as much as it did, which is what we traditionally give in schools what they really need people who are versatile who can synthesize information who can communicate well and 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 analyze and all of those kind of things so i think the sorts of things that teachers are going to be required to teach are going to be different and and unfortunately it always tends to be added rather than change so it'll just be more things they've got to do right do you know what i mean it's very difficult i think so I think that the role is likely to change in that respect. There will be more and more technologies available to teachers and hopefully we'll end up in a situation where they see the technology as a boon rather than a pain in the butt. You know, hopefully we will get that sorted out. But I think one of the key areas where their role is is changing is that they will need to become more and more skilled at delving into the big data that exists, knowing how to probe it, knowing the questions to ask. And they'll have to become more skilled at orchestrating how learners can make use of bits of technology, other learners, parents, teachers. Do you know what I mean? That All of the things that are available to them. So it becomes a, a slightly different job it's sort of there's a sort of a research aspect to it in terms of trying to understand more about the data that all of the technology is collecting. It's interesting that you raise that because one of the things that you talk about in the paper is how computers can actually help with analysing that data about the students. Oh yes, absolutely. They can help in that. I mean that's what computers are really good at, but nevertheless You've got to know the question that you want to answer when you're getting the machine to probe the, the, and do the analysis. You know, so what is it you really need to know? And that's where I think teachers will become more skilled at realizing what they can learn, what what these can, what this data can tell them. You know, so they will be able to make much greater to take much greater advantage of the data and its analysis by smart computers. Yeah, definitely. But they will need to know how to use that and, and as I say, what to what to demand from the technology. I'm really glad that you've started talking a little bit about data here because it's, it's something that I'm particularly fascinated in. Um, I work a lot around educational research and a lot of it is, is typically ideographic and qualitative in nature. And it strikes me with these big data sets, we're, we're heading into something else. And I wonder how this data might influence our understanding of learning. You know, does it have the potential to do that? I think it has the potential to do that because it can allow us to record a lot of valuable information about the minute steps that learners go through as they're solving problems, understanding things, um, completing activities. And it gives us the power to analyse that data. 
Of course, we need to come up with the right questions to ask that data. And they've got to be beyond the kinds of static test questions that we tend to ask the system at the moment. But yes, it means that we can track, for example, not just a learner's improvement in understanding trigonometry, but we can also um, ask questions that will probe how tenacious they are when they're faced with a problem, how how they persist or how they don't persist. Do you see what I mean? So you can actually really start to build up a model. Now, this is where it gets dangerous from an ethical point of view, and there are some really big questions that have to be addressed when it comes to the ethics and who owns this information and what. But again, we have to come to grips with this because it's coming. So we have to get to grips with the ethics of it. But it is quite a lot for us to get used to, isn't it? Because effectively, it means that there's the potential for us to be tracked from cradle to grave and for a computer to understand exactly all the things that have happened to us during that period. And we live in a world even now where probably Google knows more about us than than what we know about ourselves. Yes, and we don't like it, do we? But somehow we accept it with Google, but we wouldn't accept it with our children. And well, not if we knew. Um, but then there's a, that. But that's what's important. It's from an ethical point of view is making sure people are aware of what's going on. And in the main, people aren't aware of how much they're giving away about themselves when they shop online, when they search online, when they use Facebook. You know, we're not, and it's a problem. Um, so, and I think there are real, real issues when it comes to tracking somebody from cradle to grave, as you say, you know, there are some real positives to that because, uh, you know, it gives people the chance to demonstrate how they've progressed. It, you know, it gives teachers the chance to offer support where it's needed. There's loads of positives, but of course there are lots of negatives as well. You know, you, you know, if a child does badly, is that going to hang around their neck for the whole of their, you know, we don't want that. If they do badly and they recover, that can be a real positive again, you know, if they can demonstrate that. But I think in the end, it's going to have to be about finding a way whereby the individual themselves own some part of the data. It will come down to having very strong privacy controls um, and, and allowing people to control who sees the data, who gets to look at that data. But very difficult huge concerns about hacking what do we do about it but as i say the one thing we can't do is run away from it because it's going to happen anyway so we have to come up with ways of dealing with these really hard issues so clearly data is one of those challenges we're going to have to overcome but another one is the idea that we can have a standard that different app makers or software makers will be able to work towards so that data from one program can be imported into another one, I guess, and so we can really, really get a complete curriculum that's interchangeable. Now, my experience of technology companies is that they're incredibly bad at working to a standard. They want to have their proprietary ways of doing things. So I I want to ask, you know, do you really think that it's possible that we are ever going to get to this sort of standard, or is it more likely that everybody's going to do their own thing? You're so right, and it's deeply depressing. Um, I kind of, we made that point in the paper because it's what we think should really happen. 
happen so that you have a world where you can have people developing really nice, smart components that you can plug together. Now, in a way, APIs help us do that because they do allow programmers to see how they can plug components into their code. But not all products have APIs. So it's it's more about making an appeal for at least products to have APIs. I think the open source movement is also helpful in this respect. But of course, commercially, that has tensions because commercial developers want to keep their powder dry. So I think what we wanted to do was open up a discussion about how we could make this work so that you could have a situation where you can plug in different components to a core system whereby you can use the same data, for example. So you've kind of got a core data system about your the, the students in your school, for example, um, and then you can plug your components in uh, as you need. It, I mean... It's how I think it should be. It's how I think it should be from a user's point of view. I imagine that anybody working for a large corporation, other than Pearson who published the paper or maybe including Pearson actually, look at it and think, well, not having that. You know, that's not, that's not in our interests. Um, but maybe there's something for everybody here and, and, and maybe we can work something out. Looking at the problems that quite a lot of large corporations are having at the moment, particularly publishers who have been quite dominant in the education sphere, you know, they are, if you look at somebody like McGraw-Hill, I mean, they're very largely re reinventing themselves completely um, into an educational technology company um, because that's the way they see themselves going. So I think there's, there's a lot of shift at the moment including amongst big corporations. And then you've got a huge surge in edtech startups, in London particularly, but not just London, across the UK. Really huge increase in the last couple of years. And that ought to move, move things forward, hopefully. It will certainly shift things. So it feels like the right time to be trying to have this conversation about how do we get some kind of interoperability between artificial and artificially intelligent components so that we can we can move forward so that actually you might be thinking in terms of okay I need a different component for my system now rather than I need a new system if you're a school and you're on a tight budget but I realize that doesn't that's not music to the ears of a lot of you know commercial folk so it's a tricky one I mean I guess this is a really critical question for schools because if you're going to invest a lot of money in computers and software, you know, wh where do you dive in? Where do you dive in? I think the only answer I can give to that is that you have to look at your priorities educationally. So, for example, we're doing some work with a SME at the moment, and I can't go into the detail because that would obviously be commercially sensitive and, you know, that, that, that I respect that for their point of view. But basically, we're helping them to build some AI into their technology. Now, their technology is all about helping children in primary schools who are struggling with maths. So the schools they're working with are schools where there is a problem with maths 
in their school amongst low achieving students. So that's kind of like, so you start with where your educational problem is. Okay, these schools have a problem with maths for, you know, low achieving learners, largely because of where they are geographically. So that's the system that you buy in. And, and, it, and it may be that the kinds of system, and the one I've just mentioned is an example of this, is not something that you realize necessarily to start off with has any AI in it, but gradually it becomes apparent that it does. And gradually, as we build more of it, they'll advertise it more, obviously. But what I'm trying to say is it could be that AI creeps in in little ways to systems that schools are buying in, not thinking, oh, it's an AI system. They're thinking, oh, this is a system to help us with PSHE, or this is a system to help us with uh, critical thinking, or this is, you know, but actually it also has. That's how I suspect it'll start to make more headway into schools. But then I can see a situation where if we can get the interoperability um, problems sorted out, you could be in the situation where, you know, you can go and get a component that models and supports children with particular emotional difficulties. Perhaps they're going through a breakup at home or you can go and get, a, do you see what I mean? It, it's kind of, but it should always obviously be driven by the educational need. I mean, I guess when I read your paper, the way I understood it or the way I interpreted it was that on some level there'd be something, a computer and intelligence system, tracking the students across all of their different subjects, really getting to know that student um, and understanding exactly how that student works, how they learnt best. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's how... You know, I'd hope it to start to to work in that way. And what I really hope will be the kind of part of the glue that holds things together is what we call open learner modelling, where teachers and learners can really see what's going on inside the systems in terms of why they're making the decisions that they're making. You know, why do you think I need more help with maths, for example? Or where do you think it is that I don't understand this physics problem? Um that it's it's about and that's part of what a good AI and education system should offer is the rationale for the decisions, the the opening things up so that it's not a black box. But of course that's commercially where the problems arise because the black box is the thing that people believe is the value for money. So it, it, there's a lot of discussions to go on in this space, definitely. When I've heard interviews with the designers of a computer such as Watson, they they themselves don't really seem to understand exactly how those computers are learning or what those computers understand. Isn't that isn't that actually a fundamental problem if we're expecting companies to be able to tell us exactly what those computers are doing? No, because a lot of it's built it's it's to do with the type of the artificial intelligence that's being used. It's to do with the the nature of the the programming, um, and so a lot of artificial intelligence and education systems are what we call good old fashioned AI. Whereas things like the AlphaGo and Watson and Newton are much much more um, modern machine learning tools, very, very smart, but not capable of giving you as an explanation for why they've made the decision they've made. Um, And actually, that's part of where, I mean, some of the machine learning techniques could be part of an AI and ed system, because you may not need to make everything 
explicit or open. So you can use some neural networks, for example, or um, other machine learning techniques within an AI ed system. But you need to make sure that it's capable of providing the kinds of information that will be useful for teachers and learners and that it's not all black box. Because, you know, if you want to know, one of the things that helps children learn, as you will, I don't need to tell you, but is them asking questions. You know, a good learner will be asking the teacher a lot of questions, given the opportunity. And the teacher will, will need to be able to answer. So you don't really want a black box that can't answer questions. Do, do you know what I mean? It, it, it's got to be able to explain itself. Moving on to a slightly different topic, still still come from your paper. When I was reading it, it you seem to suggest that the classroom of the future will look remarkably similar to how it is now in terms of there being a teacher and 20 or 30 children. Is that is that really going to be the model that we see? It's not a model that has any consequence of the potentials of technology. I... I think you could end up with larger classes and more group teaching. But in the end, the reason that schools are structured the way they are has very little to do with education. You know, it, it's, I mean, it, there's so many other reasons, though, the way that they are. And I don't think we can tackle all of those reasons now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I just wonder if we can look forward a bit because AI is obviously not just affecting education, it's affecting the world of work, which is going to impact education as well. I wonder if you can um, tell me what you think might happen to education as a result of all these changes and, and also perhaps to the world of work and lifelong learning. I think it could go in, in, in different ways. I mean, I think whatever whether we're educating people for the world of work or whether we're educating them to be more entrepreneurial, for example, because in the end, most people need to earn a living. It's very few people who don't. I think AI could be a lifelong learning partner that will help them to go on learning throughout their lives so that as their job or their business or whatever it is they're doing to, you know, as that, requires them to have different skills you know it you know this lifelong learning assistant can help them with that so I think it can help to deal with the consequences of the changing world of work I also think there's I hope there will always be a percentage of people in the world who just want to learn for the sake of learning for the sake of understanding things you know the kind of old-fashioned academic who is happy to explore the boundaries of their subject you know because they just love it you do need people like that um and i'd hate to think that we would end up in a world where we didn't have people like that i don't think a machine will ever replace that person but we have to make sure we have an education system that still allows us to have people like that if you see what i mean so, you know, people who are interested in the subject they're passionate about. But for the majority of people, it, it is in the end about earning a living. And so, yes, AI can help by assisting people to, to, to learn 
throughout their working lives. Um, in, change, in terms of the changing world of work more generally, again, it, it does come down to actually changing the kinds of things that are part of the, the, the curriculum of what people learn so that we move away from the sorts of things that um, machines can do very easily. And so we're taking greater advantage of the sorts of things that human brains are particularly good at doing, you know, which is more versatile. It is this kind of, you know, it, it's different for different people, isn't it? You know, um, where your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but there are some, some things, and in particular social interactions, you know, that we are better at machines are and it's going to be a long time before you get a machine that is 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 able to pick up the signs from thinking of a teacher here you know a human teacher working one-to-one with a learner you know the, the 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 breadth of information they can take in from the way the child's scratching their ear to the way they move their leg to their breathing to what they're actually doing in front of them in terms of do you know what i mean it, it's there's, 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 we can do that as humans in a way that it's going to take a long time for a machine to be able to, to do that, you know. And, and so in, in all areas of work, it's going to be a case of, so what are the things that humans are really, really good at? And how do we make sure that we play to those strengths within the education system so that we don't just end up with people leaving school only able to do the kind of job that's already been replaced by a machine, if you see what I mean. Great. Um, I'm really aware that time is somewhat against us. So I just wondered if you've got any final thoughts that you'd like to leave me and the listeners with. I just, you know, can't stress strongly enough how much I would like teachers and educational leaders, obviously, as well, to, to become part of the dialogue you know, to get involved in, in talking about this. And, and, you know, that's partly is one of the main drivers for writing that piece is to try and open up a dialogue. And for me, the most important people to take part in that dialogue are teachers to try and engage them in, in developing thoughts about what this might be, this AI in the classroom thing. What, what, what might it be that could be good, you know, that they could feel they could work with that would help them, that would benefit their learners. You, that's that's what I'm very keen to be able to do. So it's about it's about discussion. It's about bringing people together. And I guess that's not just the teachers, but probably involves the academics and, and the corporations as well even. It's bringing them all together. It's that tripartite discussion um, where you get the mix of academics, corporates and teachers. So because we've all got to understand each other's position and work together. It's just that I think the corporates have a big voice. Academics have a little voice and teachers have no voice much at the moment. So so that's why I'm very concerned about teachers. Well, Rose, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your your thoughts and your insights. It's my pleasure. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're interested. (laughs) I'll post up a link to the paper on the website. And so people can follow up and hopefully read some more. Thanks a lot for your time. All right. Bye. Bye.